And welcome to the EuroWhat, episode 146 for the week of February 28th, 2022. I'm Mike McComb, and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. Hey, Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about the senselessness of the last seven days. We are recording this on Sunday afternoon, U.S. time. And with all the breaking news that's happening, information can change minute to minute. The situation will evolve rapidly from when this is recorded to when this episode is available for download. We're striving for accuracy, but our production process is not conducive to situations like this. We are a weekly podcast that regularly has news happen the second we get done recording. Specifically, we are talking about uh, what is happening in Ukraine right now. Yeah, uh, it has been a week, hasn't it? Yeah, the last conversation that we had in voices was Wednesday evening, US time. And then I would say probably an hour or so later, that would have been Thursday morning local time in Ukraine, Russia began its invasion. It's been a very wild few days to watch from this distance. Yes, there has been a lot of me just sort of sitting and absorbing a lot of news and thinking about things and just going, I don't know enough to speak intelligently about the topic when asked if I had opinions on things by people who know that I follow this sort of thing. And even taking it into our Eurovision sphere, there were a lot of things happening in that first 24 hours. The EBU trying to remain neutral and saying like, oh, yes, Russia will still be able to compete because Eurovision is not a political contest. I thought that was a very early statement to make, and that proved to be correct. They got a lot of bad PR from that. NPR, Stereo Gum, a whole bunch of music sites immediately went forward with the story of Russia's still going to be able to go to Eurovision. And these are like also outlets that don't typically report. That don't cover the contest. Later that day, or maybe like early the next day, again, like we're also dealing with time zones here. So time is very relative here. But Friday morning, Eastern time. EBU issued a new statement that Russia would not be participating this year. From that statement, the decision reflects concern that, in light of the unprecedented crisis in Ukraine, the inclusion of a Russian entry in this year's contest would bring the competition into disrepute. Before making this decision, the EBU took time to consult widely among its membership. The EBU is an apolitical member organization of broadcasters committed to upholding the values of public service. I remember seeing that statement and seeing a lot of comments along the lines of it took them long enough. And I assume behind the scenes, there was a lot of things happening just because the EBU is made up of many, many, many members and getting all of them onto the same Zoom was probably tricky. And I think it's interesting that they're talking about this in bringing the competition into disrepute, because I think this isn't necessarily a political decision. It's that... One of the rules of the songs, uh, like aside from no vulgarity, it has to be okay for broadcast, it can't contain political messaging, it's that 
you cannot make the contest look bad. There's no way around that, even if the reason for that is political in nature. This is still sort of a PR thing. Between the initial statement from the EBU and the immediate follow-up within like the next 24 hours, we're seeing various statements from the member broadcasters like SVT and then Estonian Finland uh, essentially saying, we will withdraw if this is not changed. Saturday morning, Russia's three broadcasters have claimed to leave the EBU. Channel 1, VGTRK, and Radio Dom Ostantikino announced their withdrawal from the European Broadcasting Union in response to Russia's exclusion from the Eurovision Song Contest 2022, which we regard as inappropriate political sacrifice and a music form that has always emphasized its non-political status. So that is Russia's side of things. The EBU says they've not received the formal paperwork yet on the matter, but they were planning on having a meeting on Monday to discuss the future of Russia's membership in the organization. So this could just be a case of, you can't fire me, I quit. Or Oh, good. Those are the exact same words I have. Oh, so it's a, you can't fire me, I quit situation. We just saw this with Belarus last year and getting kicked out of the EB is like, that's a multi-year process to get back. So yeah, this is a lot of stuff is happening and it's going to have some wide ranging effects. It's been a busy week and it's only been four days. As we record this, European airspace is almost completely blocked for Russia, including Italy. Financial sanctions are also happening. Uh, and Ukraine is kind of holding their own. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, it's been, I don't know, kind of going back and forth between doom scrolling on Twitter and then also seeing some amazing stories coming out of the news and just like the bravery and the kind of dark sense of humor that's going yes. on. I, I I don't know what your Twitter experience has been like, but it, like somebody posted the other night a montage of Zaleski on Dancing with the Stars when he yeah when he won back like 15 years ago. It's like wait what? <laughs> yes, yeah, no, like just a very dark sense of humor is happening. Like, and it's weirdly comforting to me. Again, like I spent a lot of the last half a week just sitting and absorbing and. And following sources where, like, they have the background and expertise on things, because I've I've definitely had a few Twitter follows I've temporarily muted because they are saying stuff that, like, they have no basis in. Mm. We all need to go outside and touch some grass. Thinking about Ukraine a lot and hoping that everybody's okay and that there is a peaceful resolution that comes as quickly as possible. Yes. It feels weird to close on this for this portion of things, but since it is where we left things off last week, Kulush Orchestra has been selected as Ukraine's entry this year. Congratulations. We hope to see you in Turin. I really do because I really like their song. It was going to be a well-received entry regardless, and I think that performance is going to be the one I am most looking forward to. Yes. Okay, elsewhere, amidst all of the crazy things this week, I had another piece of Eurovision in the wild that I was not expecting. We were talking about how sites like StereoGum were covering the contest when they normally don't. Also popping up on StereoGum this week, Montaigne has a new song out with David Byrne. Ooh. Yeah, that combo. Wow. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Montaigne, of course, is Australia's entry from 2020 and 2021. She's been doing pretty well for herself in terms of post-contest stuff. She has the the new theme song to My Brother, My Brother and Me, another popular podcast. And yeah, she has a song out with David Byrne called Always Be You. Single day. It'll always be you. You 
It sounds like it's a case of shooting your shot in terms of musical collaboration. Uh, so David Byrne is is a busy individual. He's currently on Broadway with his American Utopia show. The press release for the song is, Montaigne approached me about singing on a song or a possible collaboration. To be honest, I had not heard of her. After my current show was safely up and running, I checked out her new and old songs and quickly responded, yes, how could I not have been aware of this person? Someone I imagine might get occasionally labeled quirky, as I often am. Uh, but with Montaigne, that quirkiness translates into complete heartfelt honesty and transparency about her feelings. Brave, weird, and catchy, thrilled to be invited, and love how the songs turned out. It is very much a combination of their sensibilities. David Byrne is always an interesting collaborator. He had a collaborative album with St. Vincent out probably at this point like five or six years ago. Ooh. That's, it's them and a brass ensemble. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Is, is with that album, they're writing for like a very small space that they wanted to fill with sound and how you do that brass. Uh, but this definitely feels like a good combination of Montaigne's and David Byrne's personalities. Like it's definitely a, a good mix. Congratulations, Montaigne. This is the sort of situation that you can't like, so what happens if David Byrne doesn't email me back? I just finished this song. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, oh, that's, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. Very cool. And especially finding this out the week of Australia Decides was just kismet. Uh, so Australia Decides happened. I did not wake up at four in the morning. Apologies to Australia. But I, I did watch recaps of, of the performances and then did dive into the top three just to see how things did. Like I particularly enjoyed Jaguar Jones a few years ago when she first entered for the Australian selection. And I liked her performance this time around too. Staging wise, she was in essentially a paper hoop skirt that did get set on fire for like one of the choruses. Oh, wow. So that was very cool. She ended up placing third. Voyager, who I think was probably my favorite of the entries, placed second. Uh, and the definitive winner was Sheldon Riley with Not the Same. So Sheldon has a far more extensive history of competitive music programming shows than I would have expected. Oh, really? Well, in diving into this, you had noted that he had appeared on season 15 of America's Got Talent. But if you go back to 2016, I think, he was on The X Factor Australia. And he was eliminated from the, the judges' houses, but then brought back to being like a boy band assembled from like various offcuts. Sort of like a One Direction situation yeah sort of like a one direction situation anyways they did not win x factor so a couple years later on the voice australia in 2018 he gets to the final doesn't win but then comes back in 2019 as an all-star performer just like a deep history of trying out for things like this so it does not surprise me that he popped up in australia selection that's another great stage to be on what did you think it's tricky because I think if this were a song written for another performer, like like something that would happen at Melfest, it could come across as incredibly overwrought. But since this is a song from Sheldon's like personal experience and like it is a song that Sheldon wrote for Sheldon, there's genuineness to it. It's still not for me or like the style just isn't what I respond to. Yes. The story of it, I can get behind and identify with, but I still end up coming back around. Like, it's a bit much. It doesn't help that I 
find him to be a little over accessorized and it's like okay just like coco chanel this it's like i already did but Mm -hmm. yeah like there there are a lot of elements happening in the staging and like i feel like if you hadn't told me he had been on the voice twice i would have pegged this one as a as someone who had been on the voice a couple of times just Mm -hmm. because it's it's very much that kind of winner's song right which I think is definitely in like the ballpark of what often shows up at Eurovision. But yeah, there's just something on one hand, I agree with you that like it feels very much tied to him personally, but also there's a blandness about it that doesn't that didn't stick with me the way that some of the other entries did. I'm not sure why, but this is kind of a like not even a subgenre at this point that Australia really pushes. Like mm-hmm. there are entries like multiple entries like this every year at Australia decides. And it's like Australia, is everything okay? I'm guessing probably not, but yeah, it, it's it's weird that this is kind of brand Australia in a way that I would not have expected. Yeah, although I do find it interesting that with maybe the exception of Montaigne, because I did like Don't Break Me, mm-hmm. that with their selection, I tend to like whatever places second, because I really liked 2000 and whatever. I really like what place second this time around. So this is not his first time performing in that mask, because like if you look at his performance on America's Got Talent, he's also doing it there. Yes, so he's been he's been doing that for a couple of years. There's like the moment in the song where he removes it that I get the impression that it's sort of supposed to be like when when Sasha Velour takes off her wig and shakes a bunch of rose petals out of it mm-hmm. of of this big dramatic moment. But I'm not sure it worked for me. I think that's where my discomfort of engaging with this song was really kicking in because it's like okay, this is a very like you could tell it was a very emotional moment for Sheldon at that point because like voice is cracking and almost struggled to get through the rest of the song. It's like, okay, that, that, that is genuine. At the same time, the song does have a blandness or it feels very Eurovision-y. Yes. In, in a way that just kind of bums me out at national selections where it's like, okay, is this like a song that is going to Eurovision or is this a Eurovision entry? Like it, it, it is a very fine line. Well, especially because I feel like the contest is really starting to respond to songs that don't feel like they are explicitly written for the contest. That is the thing with this one where it's just like, I think this song could exist outside of the Eurovision ecosystem, but the way it's being presented is very much in the Eurovision ecosystem. And I think it's going to be a very challenging balancing act to maintain the emotional core and emotional truth of this song and making it a little too over the top and Eurovision-y and ending up getting kind of discounted as a result. This is going to be an interesting one to sit with over the next couple of months, because I I have a feeling it's going to be something where my opinion about it is going to change at least a dozen times. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, well, yeah, and like, I hadn't even thought about it in the context of what semifinal it's in. Mm -hmm. Australia this year is in what I keep calling the deeply chaotic second semifinal. That one is going to be just one to watch, isn't it? Just I, I, I do not envy the people who have to figure out the lineup for that one. Yeah, does this one go immediately before or immediately after Achille Loro? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> how yeah. how does that work? So how does th- yeah, how does that work? Yeah, and then Circus Mercus is being like, "Hey guys, so <laughs> hello, we're here." And it was also a very busy weekend for Kano because Kano were special guests at Australia Decides. Australia loves Kano. They're they're doing another Australian tour, so of course, as long as they're in the neighborhood. Uh, but Alexandra was on the jury, and then the group was also the Norwegian jury at UMK in Finland. Okay, what time does Kano's body think it is right now? Yeah, yeah, just like, <laughs> is it like 4 a.m. in their trailer, and they're just calling in because good for them. But yes, Finland did have their UMK process. 
They had seven songs that were competing. Uh, the way the voting worked this time around, it was 25% jury vote and 75% audience vote. Uh, a nice fun split compared to other national finals. And the winner of that process was the Rasmus and their song Jezebel. Christmas is probably one of the bigger names in national final season this year. They've been around for almost 30 years. They had a breakthrough song back in 2003 called In the Shadows that was a hit across Europe and even found its way into downloadable content for Guitar Hero World Tour back in 2009. Remember Guitar Hero? Or- <laughs> oh, man. Remember those days? Yeah, yeah. So they were... The most known quantity of the contestants, I would say. And it showed in the scoreboard. They won both the jury and the televote. Uh, the televote score was more points than second place's combined score. So they were definitely the winners uh, of Finland's process. There was a the moment at the end where they had been announced as the winner, but like there were no numbers on screen. So I'm like, but, but like by how much? Like was this close? And then like the numbers appeared on screen. Just no. Not close at all. So what do you think of this track? My immediate reaction of it on Twitter as I was watching this, waiting for Iceland to start, was that it sounded like a praise and worship band doing a rock song. You could make very minimal lyrical edits to to make this fit in at church to something about Jezebel. I had known going into UMK that this was a favorite, and through the song I was just like, this is it? I didn't dislike any of the songs at UMK, but I wasn't really enthusiastic about any of them. I thought Bess's Rumpumpum was the most interesting of the set, and I think that was the one that I wanted to win. I also had that feeling of, well, the Rasmus is a known quantity, and yeah, it, it's going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, I was rooting for Cyan Kicks just because I liked the visuals they had set up with their staging. Oh, interesting. That was my least favorite staging of the night. Oh, okay. No, I, th- I thought it was. It, I thought that like the the use of, of lines was just like very striking. Oh, yeah. See, I I found the performance to be rather flat as a result because it they just were not doing a three-dimensional use of the stage. Like, everything was depending on the artwork on the video wall, I thought. But, yeah, also, also like, those, when it was in the swirly bits, I was just like, oh, I'm getting a little car sick. <laughs> like, I thought that this was a very strong overall batch of songs. They had picked a lot of very diverse things. You had sort of a Billie Eilish sounding thing. You had some more folky stuff. You had the the token older rocker popping up at the end. Yeah, it was a very well-produced show. Uh, They had multiple language streams available. I was watching it on the English streams. And yeah, like it was 
a beautiful show to watch. Like everything about it was fine. It's just like the the, co- the content of it. It's like, yeah, yeah, this is good. It, it was very Finland. I I thought. Yeah, I I do like that Finland seems to know sort of what their identity is in terms of what they want to send to Eurovision. But but yeah, like it feels like a weird step down from Blind Channel to me for this one. Mm. And I'm wondering if we're going to have another Darude situation where yes, we know their name, but if I hear this song, it mostly makes me want to hear the song I know from them. But the Darude situation, it, it, that was also a DJ and singer combination, which just doesn't really work at Eurovision all that frequently. And I think this band is going to be more engaged, I guess. Like, it, it, it's not like they were thrown together for this. True. It remains to be seen, but yeah, like, it had been, it felt sort of like a, a letdown after what had been an otherwise pretty stellar final setup. I don't think there's anything actively bad about the song or, like, poorly executed i think it's just like yeah yeah it's just an alt rock song yeah like it's just more of a matter of taste of this is not my personal thing right exactly those were the major selections this week i'm grateful that it was a very quiet weekend this weekend because uh i I just did not have the headspace to fully engage on saturday nope uh but uh buckle up because this week we have all of the various internal selections starting to reveal their songs the Netherlands is kicking us off on March 3rd with S10's song. Montenegro is revealing Vladana's song on March 4th. And Albania is also revealing their revamp of Secret on the 4th. Uh, and then Friday, it's time for Germany to pick their song. Thank you for selecting on a Friday, Germany. Yes, danke. Uh- danke. <laughs> Germany will have six songs in competition. Serbia is also doing their three-day process. The two semis are on Thursday and Friday. They'll start out with 36 songs. That'll get cut down to a much smaller field for Saturday's final. And then we get into what is probably going to be the more super of the last two Super Saturdays, uh, because we've got a lot of finals and a couple of semifinals still in the mix. Yes, Iceland has their second semifinal. I really enjoyed the first semifinal. The new space that they're in is is great. It's nice because it gives them the feeling of the final, which is normally at the soccer stadium every week. The two things that went through this week, Siga, Beta, and Ellen, which I did not realize that Ellen in that group is Ellen A, uh, who had a really beautiful cover of Waterloo a few, like the last time Song of a Captain happened. Oh, really? Yeah, like that is her. She does some very good kind of, not really trip hop, but sort of like, electro production very soulful vocals but also it turns out she's great at harmonizing with her two friends and doing what i called like icelandic first aid kit so kind of alt country-ish i really liked that one but i wondered if it was gonna be too quiet for what gets sent to eurovision and i was wrong because they were the first group named as, as through to the final i really like that song like their their harmonies are gorgeous Yes. Yeah. So I was very excited to see that through. And then Stefan Oli is the other one direct to their final from that one. And I also thought that that was a very good ballad in terms of the material they had this week. I wasn't able to watch Iceland live, uh, but by the time I was able to switch over to it, they were in the recaps for all the performances. And those two songs just from the recap are the ones just like, oh, those are probably the ones that are going to go through. Yeah. Like when, when I came in on the, on the recap, uh, it was right in the middle of the halfy half portion. Oh, so. <laughs> good. Oh, good. Uh, I'm not sure I want it to win Song of a Captain, but I would not be mad about getting the wild card just so I can see what the English version of that looks like because, uh, props to Hafi Huff and Co for doing approximately four costume changes over the course of three minutes. Yeah. I, 
I ended up watching the semifinal Sunday morning, and I was very confused for that three-minute section. <laughs> Honestly, we don't get enough songs at Eurovision that include a recipe for hummus in their second verse. Mike, you know me. I, I have done my research like, okay, but what is this song about? That's why he was in a kitchen. Oh. Again, so many things are happening in that performance. Uh, and like, I just felt very bad for the person that had to follow him because I remember nothing of their performance, even after watching like multiple recaps of the lineup. Well, I guess it's going to depend on what happens in the second semifinal and if, if, if they need to throw this in for balance. So, <laughs> yeah, like, on, like on one hand, I was sad that it didn't get through to the final because I did want to see it performed again live just to see what, what tweaks are they going to make to, to this. On the other hand, it not being in the final does open things up for Daughters of Reykjavik which I think is going to be the the one that feels the, like the closest follow-up to uh, Hatari and Dathi Frere. But again, anything can happen next week. We have five more acts. Glad, glad that this one is is back in the mix. Oh, and then the interval act. I need Goose Goose to put their cover of Is It True onto Spotify or other streaming platforms immediately. It's Goose Goose doing the instrumental. It's Margaret from Verk, who is the other band that Einar from Hatari is in doing the vocals it's just a very good blending of things oh that does sound awesome yeah, yeah. La- lady shave is still in my regular playlist if you're familiar with goose goose you will like their take on is it true excellent yeah and then the other semi-final that happened this weekend is melfest direct to the final uh clara hammerstrom for the second year in a row uh and medina who had a very like that was that was a very good and ent- like i was listening that was like this is this needs to go to the final that was my thought, too. That was the only one on Saturday's show that really caught my attention in a positive way. <laughs> yes. I was surprised that they were surprised that they did so well. Like every, Oh, they, every time they cut to them getting 12 points from an age group, I was delighted because mm-hmm. they were just like, what? Yeah. I am hopeful for them. It caused me to like look up Sweden's history at Eurovision. The last time they had an entry that was in Swedish was in 1998. So, wow. yeah. So it's like, yeah, maybe switch things up a bit. Do not translate this to English. So. Do, not, do, not, do not touch it. Going to this week's semifinal from the fourth uh, heat work, Anna Bergendahl and Lydia's sister. Joining them in the semifinal lineup, uh, we have Theos with Som Duville, again, Sweden, sends something in Swedish. Halabalu by uh, Danny Strayhead. Alvaro Estrella doing Suave. Tonus Achilles with My Way. Casiopeia, I Can't Get Enough, Lisa Miskowski with Best to Come. So that should be a fun lineup. I'm not quite sure who I want to get through the final from there, but we'll see. That is a varied list. I will give it that. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had a very difficult time getting excited for Sweden this year. I mean, I, I, I do every year, but this year in particular, like my my takeaway from it is just like, man, this this really feels like what Denmark would be sending <laughs> a lot of the time. And... I feel like this... This group of semifinalists feels like the correct group of semifinalists, but I would really like to see Cornelia Jacobs get through to the final at this point, because it just feels authentic in a way that Sweden's entries don't always do. Yeah, like, I think I think for me, it is between that one and Medina's song. Like, it, it, it should be one of those two. Yes, yeah, those, yeah, those two very different songs, but, mm-hmm. uh, but in a good way. And yeah, like, diff- different from what Sweden typically offers. Yes, which I think would be good for them. Yeah, because uh, I think they could be in trouble otherwise. But mm-hmm. uh, we 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 have to wait a couple of weeks before we can s- start reading those tea leaves. So. Yep. 
The other semifinal that'll be happening on Saturday is Portugal's Festival de Canção. The first semifinals this coming Saturday, and then next Monday is the second semifinal. And then the uh, Saturday after that will be the final. So it's just going to be a one-week festival this year. In terms of finals that are happening this coming Saturday, Denmark will be doing their Dansk Melody Grand Prix. They have eight songs, and it'll be 100% televote to determine the winner. I'm liking that that's 100% televote. Yes, uh, particularly with some of the other processes that are happening on Saturday uh. <laughs> and the rest of the season. There's some very weird voting mechanics going on. There are some, like, th- there are some, like, I was about to say thumbs on the scale, but it's like a full hand on the scale. Uh, yeah, well, like France, Sevuki DC Day will uh, happen with 12 songs. In the first round of voting, five of the songs will advance just based on the televote. And then one song will advance with what they call the jury's Euro ticket, which I believe is French for wild card. <laughs> and then the second round is going to be scored as 50-50 jury televote split. I mean, I guess that's how they did it last year or some version of that last year. Yeah. I mean, it ended up working out for France in the end, but numbers-wise, that seems a little off, but um, who who am I to judge? Uh (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Meanwhile, over in Romania, just shenanigans. Goodness, yes. So, yeah, uh, Romania's process, they had their online semifinal a couple weeks ago. They cut their field down to 10 songs. And those 10 songs will perform. There is a five-person jury. Each juror will give out points Eurovision style. There's a total of 290 points uh, available from that. And then there is a televote. However, the way the televote, I think, is supposed to work. I had to read this several times to wrap my head around it, and I'm still not sure I got the math right. The song that gets the most votes will get 12 points. The rest of the field will get points proportional to the number of votes that first place got. So, for example, if there were 100,000 votes cast and first place had 50,000 votes, that first place song gets 12 points. If another song got 5,000 votes, that's 10% of the number of votes that first place had. First place gets the 12 points. That other song would get 10% of those 12 points. So 1.2 points. And yes, there will be decimal votes in this. <laughs> and the televote doesn't even have a full complement of 58 points. It's not like second place gets 10, third place gets 8. No, it's going to be fully relative. So if there's 100,000 votes and first place gets 90,000, the most that the next place song could get would be 1.3 points. And, <laughs> and that would mean zero points for everybody else because that means that no, none of those songs got any televotes. Yeah, the one site that I saw explaining this described the televote as symbolic. And <laughs> it's like, oh no, we're meeting. Oh no. It. But yeah, and like when you think about the fact that with their semifinal process, with, with the 40 whatever songs that had the online vote qualifier, if you look at what actually made it through to the second stage of that, it's mostly what the jury liked, including things that finished 41st in the televote. Yeah, I guess the question here is, why is this being televised? It's like, well, maybe just do an internal selection <laughs> if you don't want to let people vote. I mean, I think it's fine, because like, thinking back to Una Voce per San Marino, 
that was all jury. And I mean, that, that was all televised, but there was never any pretense that there was a televote or anything like that. And like Festival of Congress is the same way. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's fine to be fully jury, but throwing in a, a mathematically inconsequential televote just seems weird. We're having a televote, but you can give a thing 1.2 points. Good luck to everybody, I guess. Yeah, it's like, we will be giving this song 40 <laughs> points, and you have given this song one point. It wins. You helped. Hooray. I'm really curious how they landed on this process. The math of it just is just like, this is... The math of it is what? so bad. Yeah, so... The math of it is bad, and like it, this, is, this is going to lead to something, potentially, where the, the people of Romania did not really vote for it, but it is their Eurovision entry. They do not like it, but it's going to Turin. Who knows? If the televote ends up aligning with what the jury selects, it's probably a non-issue. Like, it would be like, oh, well, this is what the televote wanted anyway. But, like, that is a coincidence. That is not impacting process. <laughs> so. Yeah. Also, <sighs> they're in the deeply chaotic semifinal, too. So anything is possible. <laughs> uh, it should be a fun show, though. I mean, Romania does put on a good national final, even even if the... Even if they aren't allowing the thing with the inflatable dinosaur costumes through. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> we can agree to disagree on that one. So, <laughs> I mean, and like it's weird for me because I normally hate those, but I'm like this this weirdly works as a for for the entry. But yeah, yeah, next Saturday is going to be super super busy. But we're in the last two weeks of selection season. I know. <laughs> this is probably only half of it. There are a lot of internals that we know nothing about at this point. Uh huh. So. Just like at any point. Constant vigilance. Constant vigilance. And with that, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Mike McComb, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. Show notes are in the description of this episode and on our website at eurowhat.com. There you can find links to our Patreon, our socials, and subscribe links for your favorite podcast apps. We currently have 21 songs, 28 artists, and 40 countries heading to Turin in May. Join us next week as those numbers change and we try to make sense of what's new with Eurovision. 